the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. As we head into Hour 3, we do so as we do most Mondays with the great Brandon Weikert. Brandon J. Weikert is the author of several books, including Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. He's the author of The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, and most recently, Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. He is a senior editor at 1945.com, and he has one of the best Twitter feeds on the um, on the planet, it is at we the Brandon W E the Brandon Brandon. Happy Monday! Hope you're doing well, my friend. Oh well, thank you. I think I'm going to have to try uh, some of your. Uh, well, I think it's relief factor at this point. My back, I threw it out yesterday doing yard work and yeah. uh, still living with that. But aside from that, I am uh, still very active on Twitter, as you noted. Yes, the I thumbs do. Are still working. Yes, good. The <laughs> thumbs are working. It's good. It's good when the extremities are not tingling. Here's my advice. Uh, use ice, not heat. Place it about an inch or two above where the pain is because it radiates yeah. downwards. And lie on the floor with your legs on a sofa at a, a 45-degree angle. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to have to do that. I mean, I've never suffered from back problems. And then the last week, it's like all of a sudden it's all hitting me. And so. and Advil is a, is a great thing <laughs> if you can take it. Yeah, you can double up on the Advil. For, okay, doctor. And, and thus and thus wraps up our <laughs> and thus wraps up uh, thus wraps up our health segment. <laughs> Let's talk about our political health. Let's talk about oh, our goodness. international health. Have <laughs> you seen the movie? Back. Have you seen the movie Oppenheimer? Oh, phenomenal film. I saw it this weekend. I'll tell you the one thing I thought was most interesting of it. I mean, there are things to criticize, but I got to say something that surprised me is um, and it would have been very easy and expected for Hollywood to do. There was no um, there was no moral hand wringing and heartache over the building of an atomic. bomb. I mean, there was a, a hint, a hint, maybe in a three hour movie, there was two minutes Maybe total, but I could have seen that being a thing, and it just really wasn't. You know what I mean? Well, I think that I think that's a byproduct of Christopher Nolan okay. um, going back to, of course, his most famous movie is The Dark Knight. Yeah. I remember Michael Caine was speaking on behalf of Christopher Nolan and was saying at that time that uh, actually Batman that in that movie was an allegory for George W. Bush and right. the war on terror. Right. And there was a lot of pushback from the left, a lot of guffaws. But, you know, Nolan was never punished the way that you would think he would have been for making those comments. I think that there's always been a slight conservative bent uh, with Christopher Nolan. I wouldn't say he's a conservative, but I do yeah. think that his films tend to err when they deal with politics more toward not even a conservative necessarily, just sort of a normal... I think, fair view of politics. Yeah. I thought that was on display in Oppenheimer, especially the way they handled Oppenheimer's alleged Marxist yeah. um, you know, connections. I, I, I thought that was probably one of the most historically accurate takes, is that he was very sympathetic to the left, but 
he wasn't a card-carrying member the way that the Rosenbergs were. Or his brother, I, I suppose. Very important wasn't it his brother? Out. I think his brother was. His brother was, yes, and his brother right, was punished right, for it. Right, yes. right. No, I, but I, his brother I, still helped. His brother yep, still helped them build yep, the bomb, though. Yep. I, mean, I mean, that's the thing. It's, yep. it's a well, so did Klaus Fuchs, for that matter, right? Yes. Yeah. Right. Of course, they were you know, doing it to help the Soviets, yeah. uh, ostensibly. But, yeah. uh, you know, Oppenheimer, I think, was one of those. And I think this is a strain of American ideology, even today, where our elite, uh, have a very naive worldview, and it makes them susceptible to these airy utopian notions that are cherry-picked in Marxist ideology without ever sort of having to be made to, to live through and recognize and experience the ramifications of where Marxism goes, which is almost always a totalitarian oppression. Say, say a little more on that, uh, if you don't mind. Are you, are you saying that... Uh but yeah, you you can speak for yourself. You don't need me. Do do a little more on that point. That's interesting. Well, well, basically, I think that it's important. I think that it's important when we look at these historical instances to distinguish a real national security threat uh, versus a useful idiot, okay, uh, or well-meaning idiot. I think Oppenheimer really was a proud American. Yeah. I think Oppenheimer really wanted to do the right thing yep. by the United States, and yep. I think that's why he gallantly led the effort. I mean, that was not an easy effort for him to lead. But I think at the same time, he was sympathetic toward uh, Marxist ideas. Yeah. But that he wasn't necessarily a Marxist. If anything, he was very politically... They, they wanted to go after the people. Germans. I mean, it was clear that they wanted to take... Originally, their, their initial thought was this would be used against the Germans. Right. And I suppose if you're going after the Germans, you're going to have a sympathetic thought for Joe Stalin at that point. At that point in time, yeah, right. and also remember, there was a bit of a debate, but he sort of overruled it. That was right. the scene in the movie. He, there was a bit of a moral quandary on the part of the scientists, should we use the right. gadget, as they called right. it, right. on Japan? Right. Because right. the Japan, Japanese, you know, the, the implication was that because most of these, these scientists were Jewish, they had right. some kind of special hatred, right. understandably, toward Nazism that they didn't have towards the Japanese. But it was Oppenheimer who said, no, the Japanese are just as bad as the Germans right now. We're going to have to take care of them to end this war. And so I thought that was very telling and very interesting. Yeah, it was. And such an irony of history, if you will, that, you know, the short-sightedness of this in a certain sense, that Marxism would come after Jews ferociously in the subsequent years. Of course. And Japan would be one of the least anti-Semitic countries in the yes. sub in, in any year. Yes. <laughs> kind of an interesting yes. just irony of history, that's all. But I think also the movie encapsulated that very short-sighted, uh, at the same time arrogant and yet ignorant view yeah. of most of our best and brightest, yep. that Marxism is this very fluffy, nice right. thing, if right. applied by the smartest right. people in the room. Right. But it isn't. Right. And we all know that by history. Right. I liked I liked the portrayal of Edward Teller. Good to see him. Absolutely. And uh, he should be remembered accurately as one of the fathers of the strategic defense uh, missile defense. I was going to no? say, that's yeah. really what we should be remembering him for more than anything, yeah. because while he did create the H-bomb, um, he was the man who was pushing Reagan to develop a comprehensive right. countermeasure right. to all of these weapons, because he, like Oppenheimer, did not relish this technology, and right. he recognized the destructive nature, as Reagan did, yep. uh, and he believed that the only way to have peace was to have a viable, active defense deployed against these weapons to, as Reagan said, make them obsolete. Right. And uh, that's what he should be remembered for. People thought Reagan crazy with this. They nicknamed that Star Wars. Um, and yet we look back and 
you know, I think a lot of Americans think we have a missile defense system. We really don't. And it's no. it's an odd thing. It's You tell me. I think it's techni- technologically easy. It just takes a little bit of will and not that much money, my sense. But we're still pretty vulnerable to this stuff. It seems I, to I agree. And we've been – the bureaucracy, the so-called deep state, yeah. the same elements that pursued Trump for all these years are the same people who – purposely stymied Reagan's attempts to get an active space-based missile defense shield going. And that was because they were committed to this notion of uh, mutual assured destruction. They were worried that the creation of this system would be inherently destabilizing and would trigger the very nuclear first strike by the Soviet Union that Reagan was attempting to prevent with the creation of this system. Um, And it was this very sort of bizarre... Uh, overthought stance. And so you had a lot of people at State Department in particular, but also in the military and intelligence bureaucracies who were deeply wedded to this idea of detente and peaceful coexistence to the point that they would not even countenance any kind of, you know, creation of a system that would not only negate the nuclear threat that we still live under, by the way, today, but would also leapfrog, allow for the United States to leapfrog to the next generation uh, in space-based defensive technologies. And because of that, that same group and that same thought process still pervades our bureaucracy, and it's why we are basically still being threatened, not just by Russia and China today, but by the likes of North Korea and Iran with the technology, nuclear weapons, let's face it, that's about 80 years old now. So we should be having defensive measures that can negate this threat, at least from the rogue state. Another little subtle bit of, shall I say, conservatism or more accurately moderation in the movie on Oppenheimer is he was representative of the left's notion, the left in the 80s, the left to this day's notion of uh, disarmament and international monitoring. Yeah. Totally. And they, they kind of made some fun of him for that. Let me let me take a quick commercial break. Yeah. Can, can we stay on this just a little bit Absolutely. longer? It's so fun that we, um, that we landed here. I didn't expect to, but it's wonderful that we did. Brandon Weikert is my guest. Follow him on Twitter at we. The Brandon, W-E, the Brandon, his last name, Weichert, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T, foreign affairs and uh, national defense expert. And he writes a lot on domestic policy as well over at 1945-19-F-O-R-T-Y-F-I-V-E.com, where he is a senior editor. He and I will be right back. Brandon Weikert is our guest. He is the author of, among other books, Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life, just kind of reviewing a few things from the Oppenheimer movie. Brandon, uh, there was obviously a tremendous pushback against missile defense, the strategic defense initiative um, of Edward Tellers and Ronald Reagan's that we were talking about in the previous segment. And I almost wonder a little bit if it were the brainchild of an Edward Teller and um, Jimmy Carter and Walter Mondale, if it might have had a better chance of going through, I almost, in other words, begin to wonder a little bit as to if the Democrats hated Reagan more than they wanted to keep America safe. Thus, they would oppose the Strategic Defense Initiative because their entire uh, policy, if you even look back at the Joe Bidens or the John Kerry's or the people who were constituting the Democratic Party in the Senate at that time, 
there were notions of arms reduction, arms yeah. forces reduction. There was some arguments for unilateral disarmament, which John Kerry represented. Um, and and you got a little bit of that in Oppenheimer. I mean, you yeah. saw a little bit of that. Um, you did. Truman called him a crybaby, I think, at one point. But um, but I almost wonder if the opposition to strategic defense initi- initiative, because it does seem like such a humane thing, instead of mutually assured destruction, you create an umbrella that makes nuclear weapons obsolete, to, as you put it, use Reagan's phrase. Why would the left be opposed to that? Well, maybe simply because it was Ronald Reagan's concept. I wonder if that you think a- the Democrats hated Reagan more than they loved America. I think that was a large component of it, but I also think that it has to do with ideology. Okay. By the time that Reagan was president, the, the Democratic Party had moved very far away from the kind of party that JFK had right, led. Right. Um, and uh, there was this notion also of cutting America down to size, right. the same notion that dominates the left today. It hasn't changed in 40 years. In fact, it's gotten worse today. Yeah. Um, so I think that there was an ideological component as well. There was also a deep skepticism on the part of many of the liberal scientists, uh, at least publicly, they expressed deep skepticism of the technical feasibility of it. Now, of course, you can make that argument in 1982. I don't know how in 2023 you can make that argument. I really don't. Given all the progress we've made technologically with, you know, wholesale technology, um, it's really, uh, you know, it really beggars belief that it's still a technical hurdle. And it seems to me, in certain respects, it might be even more necessary than now. You know, the notion of mutually assured destruction might – I'd be curious as to your view. This is an ideological question. You've written books on China. You've written books on Iran. It seems to me that mutually assured destruction, you don't shoot because if you shoot, we'll shoot and the world will end. We will destroy you. You will destroy us. To put it you know, crudely, that's mutually assured destruction – it may have worked with the Soviet Union in certain respects. It may not work with uh, millenarian or cultish or suicide yes. cultish philosophies yes. like uh, like we face with Iran. In some respects, and I'm going to quote Bernard Lewis here, mutually yep. assured destruction might be an inducement rather than a deterrent. Exactly. Okay. Exactly, and, and Lewis was correct in that, especially in today's era where you have such an imbalance in forces. So the reason deterrence and detente was able to work as it did in the Cold War was because at least on paper, militarily, the United States and the Soviet Union were on generally at parity with each other. Right. They're basically equal players. Right. And so we could, we knew, threaten them the same way they could threaten us. And so that kept us back. There was also the fact that both capitalism and, as it was practiced, and communism in the Soviet Union, as it was practiced, we're not inherently apocalyptic the way that, say, the mad mullahs of Iran are. Right. Um, it, 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 so it's, it's very different today. Plus, there's an imbalance, and you would think, well, the Americans on paper have the most strong, uh, the strongest, rather, conventional military, and it's true on paper we do, but when compared to unconventional threats like those of China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, that imbalance actually has forced those competitors and those rivals to come up with very unconventional methods of warfare, 
which is now fundamentally threatening America much more effectively than the Soviets ever could, because the Soviets just poured most of their resources into challenging us conventionally, whereas the Chinese in particular are leading this concept of unrestricted warfare, where there is a blurring of the lines between military and civil life, which is why we are living through this day where the U.S. military is desperately hunting down all of these so-called electronic time bombs that China has laced our critical infrastructure networks with over the last several months. And I don't think we're going to catch all of them in time before they go off. And so they're targeting China is actively as a first strike, not military networks per se. They are doing that as well. But they're also mapping and doing it to civilian networks. Why? Because the civilian life and the civilian yeah. society are the targets yeah. first. No, that's that that that's right. And I suppose some of us conceived of I mean you were there from the beginning, but some of us conceived that the space force might get us into some of this kind of SDI missile defense place. It doesn't seem that that is going in that direction though, does no. it? No. Um Space Force quickly was usurped by a group of partisan military officials, permanent bureaucrats um, who were dedicated to diversity, equity, and inclusion, who were basically, and this is not true of all of them, but many of them, basically they were uh, poison pill hires that were sent in by the bureaucracy to, A, undermine the Trump vision for what Space Force was. Space dominance is what it was supposed to be about. It's not about that anymore. Um, and they were also sent there by the Air Force to basically prevent the growth of Space Force as a rival branch mm -hmm. to Air Force in terms of calling for uh, a greater increases in funding for Space Force as opposed to the Air Force. So you had a bunch of competing interests there. None of them are good for what Trump had envisioned Space Force being, which was a last-ditch effort to maintain America's dominant position in space and to build off of it. Not doing that now. It won't be doing that as long as the Democrats are running things. And did I read somewhere, maybe it was on your feed or somewhere else, that they're tinkering around with moving it or something like that just merely because they have to or they have to move move some form of Space Force headquarters or something? They're moving it from... Yeah, yeah. So, so Trump wanted the Space Command to be moved from Colorado down to Alabama. Yeah. Um, and the Democrats were saying this was a political patronage move on the part of, of Trump. And maybe to some degree it was. Alabama's a deep red state. Yeah. There's a lot of things there that, that are pro-Republican. But what... The There's also Huntsville, though, which has a I tremendous concentration say, of PhD. Maybe one of the highest... Correct, yeah. Since 2013, Al University of Alabama pilfered the entire yeah. math department yeah. of science Department, yep. engineering department of Stanford University, right. yep. and brought them all down to Huntsville. Yep. And they've created since 2013 the greatest, most sophisticated concentration yep. ecosystem yep. of aerospace engineers in the country. So yep. it makes sense that Space Command would be located there as opposed to Colorado. Unfortunately, the Biden administration killed that move. It's so funny you see the left with its disdain for places like Alabama. It probably has a higher concentration of PhDs than Cambridge, Massachusetts. I'm of course they are. <laughs> let me let me take a quick break and we'll um, do a little bit of Ukraine and Russia and a little bit on domestic politics. Brandon Weikert is my guest, author of several books, most recently Biohacked China's Race to Control Life. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Brandon Weikert is my guest, among many other things, a senior editor at 1945.com. So, Brandon, people sometimes will, you know, open up the Drudge Report or some other news source and they'll see a headline like uh, Ukraine attacks Moscow by drone or drone attacks on Moscow from Zelensky. And it seems like this would be a major, hugely important story that Ukraine is bringing the war to within or deep inside of Russia. Um, Maybe it is, but it just it seems like this is mostly online. I, I, I don't know if this is important or big or if people care anymore. It seems to me there's two things going on. The wheels of the Russia Ukraine war are going at fevered pitch and America is I don't know, blithely watching a million other things and seems to have moved on from this in some respects. Yeah. In other um, words, is this important or not? I don't know anymore. I can't tell. Well, it is, it is important in the sense that we are now striking repeatedly, and I say we because I am convinced that we are providing the targeting intelligence. Okay. Our, our U.S. intel services are, at least NATO is. Yeah. Uh, we're providing the targeting intelligence for the Ukrainian drones, and we might even have our people operating those drones. Okay. Um, so this is a problem because of what would we do if, from Canada, Russia started launching drones into Washington, D.C.? Um, th- you know, this is a problem. Depends who's um, president, I suppose. Depends. Right. right. Um, this, this president, it would be nothing. And another right. president. Yeah. Okay. You, get, right. you take the point. And, and yeah. th- this is a problem because, uh, you know, we all want Ukraine to survive and thrive. But we need to be asking ourselves, is there a better easier pathway that allows for Ukraine to survive and thrive without risking nuclear Armageddon, because the Russians are getting increasingly twitchy about this war. Um, and at some point, it's, you know, we're going to be a drained of critical resources that we need for other mission sets in the Middle East, in Asia, even in some cases in our own Latin American you know part of the world. Um, and then also, we're going to have to contend with the fact that Russia is willing to go all the way to secure what they think is their interest in Ukraine. And by constantly escalating and and risking a wider war with Russia, by having Ukraine strike deeper and deeper, now the capital of Russia, uh, at some point the off-ramps are going to be totally closed. We're going to be committed to a very serious fight with Russia. And oh, by the way, the Wall Street Journal is now reporting that China has been supplying so much military support to Russia that they can now basically create a whole new Russian army with the amount of weapons that China has been giving uh, Russia. And so now we have another issue where the longer this conflict goes on, the more the wider the wider it becomes. We talked last week about a possible invasion uh, of the Suwaki Gap yep. uh, with Poland by the Wagner Group. Yep. Um, the, the wider this becomes, the more ensnared the United States becomes, the more of a free hand China has to really do a lot of bad things in their part of the world. And, oh, by the way, they might be even planning to do a fifth-column attack with bioweapons uh, here in the United yep. States. And so, you know, at some point, the escalation needs to stop in Ukraine, and we need to, as the big power involved, we need to say to all sides, okay, enough is enough, let's get a deal now. We've we've all made our point. And I think the Russians would prefer to get a deal, even though they're very angry, understandably, with us, and we're angry with them. I think the Russians, at the end of the day, would rather this be over now as well, 
and Putin get his little slice of Ukraine and everybody go home happy. But that's not what's happening. Right. What what is that little slice? It's, uh, you know, the Eastern Russian-speaking component, but the real area of interest has always been about Crimean Peninsula and the Black Sea, specifically control over the the port of Sevastopol, which has been a Russian naval base. Yeah, Russia's had it for a while. Right, right, right. It's Catherine the Great. Right. So this idea that we're going to roll back Russian control of one of their only two warm water ports. No. You know, it's a very risky situation, especially when the Russian elite have categorically since the beginning said they will go to nuclear war to preserve their hold on that base. Thank you. And Brandon, is it is it hard to tell still? I ask you every well, maybe every month I ask you who's winning right now. Hard to say. Oh, I think the Russians are, are I think right now it's a stalemate and I think the Russians are getting ready to, to, to push back and they're they're starting to win. Okay. Let me uh take a quick commercial break, do some domestic politics with you if that's cool. Yeah. You bet. Brandon Weikert is my guest. Follow him on Twitter at we the Brandon. Uh read his books, read his essays, that way you'll know like two, three, four months in advance, the headlines before they're printed. Brandon Weikert and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert is my guest, among other things, the author of Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Ron's Quest for Supremacy. Also writes a lot on domestic politics, uh, primarily at 1945.com, 1945.com, where he is a senior editor. Brandon, this is really another, you know, two cycles of news operating in um in uh, in disrespect or disregard of one another no no uh no concordance whatsoever if you go to fox news you see the testimony and store and reports on the testimony of hunter biden's associate devon archer if you go to the washington post or the new york times for that matter not a single mention of it not no mention of it whatsoever Kind of an interesting thing. I mean, I, I've long said, and it's not just me who says it, that if you want media bias, it's mostly in what they don't print than it is in what they do. Not always true, but mostly true. And it's just odd to me that this is a non-story to the Washington Post and New York Times. Right. And it's very important to note that um, the Hill, of all places, as somebody said on Twitter, the fact that they didn't put anything in quotations, quotation marks in the header indicates how serious this was. This was a big deal. Yep. Devin Archer it was one of the founding partners of Seneca, uh, Rosemont Seneca uh, Partners, which was Hunter Biden's business. Uh, he is videographed, he's, he's photographed rather, multiple photographs arm in arm with Hunter Biden and then Vice President Joe Biden golfing and doing several other social events, which you don't get to do unless you are very important to that individual, the politician, that, that came, in that case, the vice president at the time. Um, we know for a fact, that according to records that we have found, uh, the, 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 Hill, the House investigation has found that Devin Archer met with Vice President Joe Biden on the eve of a very important Ukraine trip in which Hunter Biden and Devin Archer secured millions of dollars uh, from Burisma, the Ukrainian natural gas company that is riddled with questionable links uh, to Hunter Biden. Uh, we know from Devin Archer that he's basically the connective tissue linking um, 
you know, Hunter Biden's alleged misdeeds globally with Joe Biden's bank account. Mm -hmm. And so we don't know what was said. It was a closed briefing. It will eventually come out. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's important to note that the Department of Justice yesterday attempted to force Devin Archer to report to prison. He has been convicted for corruption issues. Uh, I think it was 2018 he was initially convicted. Uh, he is going to go to prison regardless. But the DOJ tried to force him to go on the eve of this congressional testimony that was obviously going to help the Republican investigation into the Bidens. Um, of course, it didn't work. But obviously, there is a pressure campaign within the DOJ to cover up as much of this evidence as possible. This is why they were trying to do a sweetheart plea deal uh, with Hunter over his tax evasion. This is why two IRS whistleblowers came forward to say the DOJ was stymieing their intensive investigation into the Biden family finances for years. This is why, by the way, Dr. Luft, who is an Israeli professor as well as a former military intelligence official, well, I believe for Israel, I think he was former military, but I know he's an Israeli professor, professor who had deep ties to the Biden financial network. Um, he came out and he said, I'm willing to testify uh, to Congress that I know for a fact that Hunter Biden was receiving $100,000 a month from a Chinese-owned um, energy company and that uh, Jim Biden, the president's brother, was receiving $65,000 a month. And I also know for a fact that it was because of influence peddling that they were receiving that money. And I also know, this is according to Dr. Luff, I also know that there was a senior FBI official unnamed who was uh, selling classified intelligence to Chinese intelligence and that he was involved with Hunter Biden's schemes. And, of course, now Dr. Luff has disappeared because as he was traveling from Israel to Washington, a few weeks ago to testify, he was detained in Cyprus on a layover um, and has since disappeared. It's so. it's an incredible story. It sounds like the kind of thing you would make a movie about. The New right. York Times and Washington Post are ignoring it completely and totally. And now, obviously, you know something is rotten in the state of 1600 Pennsylvania because the narrative is beyond parody at this point, the narrative being that Joe Biden never discussed any business at all with his son. They are now right. rephrasing that question to put it in the terms that they want to answer it in, which is to say he wasn't in business with his son, which itself can have a lot of implications. That's an odd phraseology. It can mean a lot yeah. of different things, in business or not. Right, and uh, he's changing his tune, of and, course. And the time. tune on that is changing. Right. Exactly right. Nicely put. <clears throat> that being said, you write a column, uh, Joe Biden deserves to be impeached. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. In your, in for the audience's sake, those who haven't read your article yet, the case for impeachment against Joe Biden. Could one argue that, in part, his accession to the presidency was based on a fraudulent story? One hundred percent, and we know for a fact that fifty-one senior, uh, supposedly retired, but of course they're never fully retired, intelligence officials signed a letter that was written by the Biden campaign in twenty twenty, claiming that. It was nothing but Russian disinformation, the Hunter Biden laptop scandal. And that with that letter and those signatures involved, the Biden campaign was able to get social media and the news media to suppress any and all stories about Hunter Biden scandals linking possibly to his father, certainly preventing uh, the Trump campaign and Republicans from publicly bringing it up in an effective way that might sway voters 
away from uh, the Biden campaign. Uh, in fact, I think it was one in, of, out of six Biden voters yeah. told, told uh, after the fact, they said that if they had known the extent... Yeah, in of swing Hunter, states, that's right. In swings in like four swing, swing states, states that made the difference. They yeah. would have mm-hmm. voted for Trump. Right. And that or or not Biden, election. or at least not Biden. That's right. It would right. have changed the election outcome. The ele- right. 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 So, yes, it absolutely was built on fraudulent terms and fraudulent methodologies. That's your real election influence. Yes. Forget about all these conspiracy theories about servers in Germany and Hugo Chavez's ghost coming back and releasing the Kraken. There's your real influence peddling. The same group of people who spent four years stymieing Donald Trump as president with Russia collusion lies and then the fake impeachment, which, by the way, was predicated on a Trump phone call to Ukraine trying to get uh, dirt on Hunter Biden's nefariousness. Um, you know, all that, that's all your election interference right there. That should have been where the Republicans have been focusing their claims of election rigging and interference, and they didn't. They got sidetracked, I think, by these more salacious, harder-to-prove theories. The real, the real, you know, nefariousness is right there in front of everybody, and it all goes back to Hunter Biden in Ukraine and China. Yep. And that's why we should be impeaching Joe Biden, because it's only a matter of time before the direct financial linkage between Hunter Biden and his father is determined. We've already found out that almost every member of the Biden family, including Bo Biden, the deceased son, uh, Mr. You know, Clean, supposedly, they were all yep. getting, getting money from Hunter Biden's various business yep. deals, of which most were corrupt. Yep, yep. And all because their last name was Biden and not right. because their first name was Bo or Hunter, right. but... Joe. Thank you, Brandon Weikert. Bless you, you, sir. I hope hope your back feels better shortly. We gave you the roadmap for it. Let us know how it turns (laughs) out. Okay, brother. (laughs) Lots of love. Talk to you later. Be good. I'm Seth. I'll be right back. You think about uh, the bank failures. You think about the stock market's volatility. You think about uh, the discussions of recessions still in the offing. You think about inflation, which we see and feel every day. We don't have to think about it. You ask, where do you go to invest? And why refi has an investment. It's in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the Federal Reserve or the stock market. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like. And your interest is compounded daily. You are paid monthly, and there are no fees. It's a secure and collateralized portfolio that Y-Refi is offering, and they're based here locally. They encourage you to stop by their offices. They're on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there. And I can tell you, you won't get a sales pitch, and no one's going to ask you to sign a thing. But when you do meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I like and trust them so much, and you can too. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm where you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. I was just thinking before this uh, segment ends about the bookends of today, from my monologue starting off with having seen the movie Oppenheimer to... The discussion with Brandon Weikert about some of it and some of the uh, the foreshadowing that takes place in the movie and some of the depictions that take place in the movie over the issue of Joe McCarthy and McCarthyism and the specter of McCarthyism. And it could be worse. I've seen much worse. But it is interesting me to me today that when you read about, hear about, or think about the uh, excesses of Joseph McCar- McCarthy – 
it is those readings, those teachings that are the excesses. Most of what he stood for, most of what he stood for in, um, in the negative uh, is exaggerated. Most of, uh, most of the problems he created for this country is exaggerated by the historians and by the liberals. So much so that when people speak of the new McCarthyism today or the McCarthyism of today, what's going on today is far worse is far more suppressing, has far greater consequences than anything Senator Joe McCarthy himself stood for or set off in the 1950s. And I think I I would say if people want to study more on that issue, if they doubt that, if they think that is so contrary to the way the history has been written or the understandings of Hollywood have been meant to be transmitted about Joe McCarthy, there are books on this. Uh, you could read William Buckley's book, for example, McCarthy and His Enemies. But know that when we talk about suppression today and the penalty for wrong think today, I submit to you, far worse, far worse than anything Joe McCarthy or the McCarthy era stood for. And the accurate reading of history, I am sure, will vindicate that point. All right, folks, thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. God bless you all. On behalf of David Dahl and myself... Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Liebson, and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.